So saints, we're going to turn to John chapter 4 and we're going to look at these two verses, verses 13 and 14. We've looked at this chapter generally and we're just going to look at a few things in a little more detail. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you just to note something even in the very beginning of these two verses. Just as a little side note, but an important one nonetheless. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God. She stood, like Pilate did, in the very presence of the Son of God. And she still didn't know who he was. If you knew the gift of God, who says to you, give me a drink? In Matthew 11, verse 27, it says this. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The very reason that this woman, at the very end of this kind of account, knows who he is, is because Jesus willed to reveal himself to her. She stood before him, and she didn't know the gift of God that stood before him. If you knew, if you knew. But it shows us there, for our own selves, That before we came to know who he was, who he is, the same thing could be said to us. If you knew, we didn't know, did we? But Jesus Christ has willed to reveal himself to you and to me. And we ought to, again, give God laudation and adoration and praise because he didn't have to do that. He could have skipped over you, as it were. He could have left you in your sin. Left you in that place. And justly and righteously so. But if you are his this morning, he hasn't done that. He's revealed himself to you. Which is what he did to this woman. Let me read to you Genesis 24, verse 10 and 11. He says this. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Naoth, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. This is talking of the servant of Abraham. Who goes to look for a wife, for Isaac. But the point in question here is that women 
go out in the evening to draw water. Young women typically had this daily chore of drawing water from the well to supply the family household. I used to work on hot dog vans, burger vans years ago. My dad owned three at the time. And let me tell you this, we had to take our own water with us and we had to fill a water bottle and that was only this big. And it was heavy. So this is me, somebody who is both a man who generally is stronger than a woman, by, by nature, at least generally speaking. But here, we're seeing that a woman goes out to draw water for the, for the whole household. Not only is it for just them, personally, for the whole family, and that could be, how, how big is that? How many children are there? How many servants are there? Or, or whatever, but it's for the whole household. But this woman went to do it in the evening, using vessels made of either clay or animal skins with a rope attached to them. That's what they used to carry. Not the easiest, not the most comfortable way of carrying things. A clay pot may have handles, but it's heavy, it's hard. A skin, well that may be a bit more softer, but to carry it with a rope. Very hard work. So she had to carry this vessel into the well to collect water. And then she carried this vessel either on her head, on her hip, or more likely, on her shoulder. So it's hard work. This is made for hard work. Can you imagine having to do that? To go into a well to collect water for the whole family, not only for the whole family, but for, the, for, the, for, for drinking, for cooking, for cleaning, for personal hygiene, for agriculture, that means for all the animals, for the troughs, etc. And this remains true, that water in large quantities is very heavy. It's a very gruelling task. So Jesus, thirsty from his journey, asks this woman for a drink. We're not told, actually, whether or not she actually gave him a drink. He just goes in and says, if you knew the gift of God, who says to you, give me a drink. He doesn't tell you whether or not she did give him a drink or not. But a reaction to him, asking the aid of a Samaritan woman. That's what happened when he spoke to her. Her reaction was one of shock, one of, of confusion. In some ways, she was very sceptical of why is this guy asking me? I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. He's on his own. Why is he doing this? But he takes hold of this situation and he uses it, as we've said previously, to draw her in slowly and yet surely. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This whole issue of water, you know, we just read it and we just think, oh, she went to the well, she got water, she took it out. This is a big task, a very heavy task, one that you wouldn't look forward to. It's not something you'd get up in the morning and think, oh, I can't wait to go and fetch water from the well. This was something that was burdensome. And this woman was confused. One moment, this man who was sat at the well asked her to give him a drink. 
And then she points out he has nothing to draw with. So he's asking her for a drink. She can clearly see he can't get it himself. He's got nothing to draw with. And then the next minute, he's saying, if only you knew who I was, you would ask me and I'll give you living water. So she's thinking, you're asking me for a drink because you haven't got a, a vessel. And yet the next minute you're telling me that I can give you living water. Where, where's this water coming from? Even this, even this great Jacob who dug the well drank from it. This great man, this forefather of theirs. But not only him, his sons, his posterity, his livestock. Even everyone in that area for hundreds of years since had drank from this very well. And so she says, are you greater than him? This, this man who, who dug this well, whose sons had to drink from this well, whose livestock drank from this well, whose posterity after him for all those years drank from this well, are you, are you greater than him? Is that what you're saying to me? Remember Jesus said many, many times, two or three times, he said, there is one greater than Solomon, there is one greater than the Queen of the South. And there is one greater stood before her than Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You see, Jesus here begins to correct her logic. She was looking at it from a logical point of view. You're asking me for a drink, and then you're telling me you're going to give me water. Living water. Makes no sense to me. But of course, as we know, being able to read the whole story, not living it out and playing along as she did, we know that he was speaking of a different kind of water altogether. Whoever drinks of this water, this is water in which all life needs to survive. I have a glass here and I drink from it because I'm thirsty. We need this water. As I speak, my mouth dries. And I need to lubricate my mouth and my body. This kind of water, we depend upon it. This water helps with skin clarity and health. It helps with uh, weight control. <coughs> Drinking water uh, helps with blood pressure regulation. It regulates our blood pressure. <coughs> it helps with the regulation of our body temperature. It boosts our energy. It helps with our kidney function. It helps with our digestion, the efficiency of our digestion. It helps the health of our joints and brain function. And, of course, nutrient absorption. And the body, friends, if you didn't know this, you may be know this, Anna probably knows this because she loves water. But the body can only last around three days without water. And without it, we die. And so, of course, then, in this health lesson, regular drinking is essential. Hence, Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. This kind of water, although it is great for our health, we continually need to keep going back for it. 
to keep drinking it so that all the, the little list there that I gave you of health benefits of drinking water is continual. We need to keep doing it over and over and over our entire lives. And Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, you'll thirst again. Using this daily chore, this daily need of water, Jesus emphasises something of far greater value. He emphasises a different kind of water. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. People hunger and thirst. I guess that goes without saying. That's what we are as human beings. We need to replenish. We need to keep eating. We need to keep drinking. If it weren't so, we, we wouldn't keep eating or drinking, would we? We get hungry, we get thirsty, we keep going on eating and drinking. However, there is a hunger and a thirsting of the soul in every person which also craves to be filled. In Romans 1, Paul shows us how all men have a knowledge of God within them. So when people say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, he's not real, it's a hill of beans, it doesn't mean anything. The reality is, whether they um, admit it to you or not, in the very depths of their being, they know that God is real. They know that God exists, they know that they've sinned against him, they know that they're going to be judged by him. <clears throat> He shows all men have knowledge of God within them. But in refusal to glorify him as God, they became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened. What happens when things get dark? What happens when it gets dark here? Sometimes I have to walk out the office into here to open up the lights ready for a Tuesday evening. And I can't see a thing until my eyes adjust and I'm tripping over a chair I'm going over there to turn the light on, etc, etc. When things darken, you can't see properly. You're not aware of your surroundings. You don't know what's there. And so it talks about this, this inner sense of men being darkened. Their hearts, their minds were darkened. There's no clarity. It's all confused. It's suppressed and repressed. And in this situation, they create their own gods. They might not call them gods, but they do. They create their own gods in many forms, many images. And the scripture tells us that they worship the creature, or that which is created, rather than the creator. Even their own inventions, rather than the true God of heaven and earth. From here, they develop insatiable lusts for the ungodly and the wicked things, things of debased minds. That's how far it goes down. They reject God. People say, why is the world like it is? Why have we got such evil in this world? People ask it on the streets who aren't Christians. If there was a God, why this, 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 this and this? Why the tsunamis that kill many people? Why, why does famine happen? Why does this happen? Why the wars? Why? 
Because people have rejected God. End of story. That's why. But they don't like that answer because ultimately they want to blame God. And they want to put themselves on the throne and judge God. Where they don't see is their own personal responsibility for these things. Why do we have a war in the Ukraine? And Russia? Because Putin is a selfish guy who wants to recreate a world that has been gone for many years. Who wants to recreate the, the USSR or whatever it was. Who wants to rule the world. That's what it's all about. wants power. And he's willing to kill and maim people to get it. And people say, why is there wars? Because of selfishness and greed and wickedness. Because men reject God. You turn from God, this is what happens. They develop insatiable lusts for ungodly and wicked things. Things of a debased mind. Putin may be rich. He may be one of uh, good political um, abilities, maybe. I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying he's got where he's got somehow, hasn't he? But he is a man with a debased mind. And such are all leaders that do such things. Because they have rejected God. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says, All the labour of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. All the labour of man is for his mouth, but his soul is not satisfied. And you can go to anybody in these streets and they'll tell you that they've got a great life. They'll tell you that they've, they've got all the money in the bank that they need. That they've got all the cars that they need. Maybe they've got one or two girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. And they're having a great time of it. But the reality is, why have they got all those things? And why do they continue chasing after all those things? Because their soul is not satisfied. And so I keep needing. And this is why we keep needing to drink and to eat. Because... We're not satisfied. <coughs> or at least we eat and drink until we are satisfied. Sometimes we eat in a gluttonous way. And then we need to eat again and to drink again. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Paul says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This is speaking again of ungodly people. He says that their God is their belly, their, their, their appetites. I want to continue groping and greedily, hankering after being filled, but their souls and their bellies are never satisfied. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of this world will continue to be thirsty. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh, those who live for the world, those who, who live for the ungodly, those who, thinks for, who live for the things of, car of carnality, those who live for the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Worldly things. But those who live according to the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded. Is death. Carnally just means worldly or earthly. 
Those who are earthly minded. Those who are concentrating on this life. And success here and now. Who want to be great in this world. Those who concentrate on those things. It says to be that minded. To be that way minded. Is death. But to be spiritually minded. Is life and peace. It's the same. Speaking of the same thing. Life and peace. To be at peace is to be filled. To be at peace is to have your thirst quenched. Your hunger quenched. And it's only God. Through Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That can do that. Jesus said. All who drink of this water. Meaning literally. The water of the well. But also meaning. The craving of the flesh. The things of the earth. Worldliness. Being a friend of the world. Which John says that if we're a friend of the world. We're an enemy of God. And then all who try to satisfy themselves with all the world can offer. What do you see? What is the common thing that you see? When people are trying to satisfy themselves with everything that this world offers. They'll shall never be full. They're never satisfied. I think about certain people who are very rich. I'm not kind of being judgmental here when I say this, but I'm thinking about it from my perspective. If I had that kind of money, would I, would I not just kind of stop? Just enjoy life? Sit on a beach? Drinking a straw? But these people, although they may have times of that, but they always continue working, going to the next thing, the next big project, the next thing that can bring in the millions of dollars, things like that. It's continual because the need is never satisfied. The need for money, the need for business, the need for success, the need to be someone, the need to be the best, the need to be the top. It's always this craving. And you always see it when you look in the world that they're never satisfied, never full. Because man cannot live by bread alone, as the scripture says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It won't be filled by the world. It doesn't matter what you do, no matter how much you get. The devil tried to give Jesus, or to tempt him, to give him, look, look at the whole world, I will give you this if you will just bow down and worship me once. Sure he understood, really. Christ already owns it. It's already his. But nevertheless, as a man, he tried to tempt him to take the whole world. But what if, as the scripture says, what does it profit a man if he has the whole world? What does it profit him? If he forfeits his soul. Forfeits him nothing. Because as we know, as Peter says, this world is going to be all wrapped up. All rolled up like a scroll and burnt and destroyed. Ezekiel 7, 19 says, They will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls. Nor fill their stomachs. Because it became their stumbling block. 
of iniquity. That says it all, doesn't it? Your sovereign goal won't satisfy you. It will become like refuse, like dung, like, like trash. Won't be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath. And it will not satisfy their souls. Their stomachs will still be empty. Why? Because it became the stumbling block of sin. To crave after worldliness and greed. The fact of the matter is, Jesus said it when he spoke to this woman. Literally and spiritually, all who drink of this water will thirst again. Water symbolises in the scriptures and probably in some other philosophies maybe it symbolises cleansing the Lord in Ezekiel 36 25 says then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols and again the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 10 verse 22 says let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus, as he uh, washed the disciples' feet, in verse 10 of John 13 says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. He said. And again, Paul in Ephesians 5 26 and 27, Paul is speaking of Christ and his bride, the church, and he says that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is a cleansing. And he washes with the water of the word. Water also symbolises salvation or eternal life. As we see in our text, Jesus calls the water that he offers living water. That's what he turns it. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 12, 3 says, Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Revelation 21.6 The Alpha and the Omega says, I will give of the foundation, sorry, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. I will give it to him who thirsts. In our text again, Jesus of the man who receives of him, he says, the living water, that it will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Water is also used figuratively of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. 
For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Of course, when Jesus went back to heaven, as he promised in several chapters of John, the promise of the Holy Spirit was sent. And there it is, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4 says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. God refers to himself as the fountain of living water. So if Jesus is God, then Jesus is the fountain of living water. All who come to me and drink. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. This is God speaking. And hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah again, 17.13, says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth. It is because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. This, this is the living water that Jesus spoke of to the woman at the well. He's speaking of himself. God calls himself the fountain of living waters. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh. He is the fountain of living waters. And he spoke of this to the woman at the well. He didn't need a pot because he himself is the fountain. He told her, she would never thirst again with this water. But she also, he also told her that she would forever thirst in the life that she was already leading. She had had five husbands, one after the other, and the man she was with now wasn't her husband. You see, we, we can so desperately try to fill the void that is in our soul. By filling it with all that the world offers. And it's like drinking at the water of the well of Jacob. We have to keep returning. We have to keep going back. We have to keep drawing. We have to keep lugging it with us. We have to keep drinking of it. Because almost the moment that we swallow a mouthful. We crave the need for more. The question then for us is this, which well, which well are you drinking from today? If you drink from the well of iniquity, from the well of worldliness, know this, friends, wells dry up eventually. And when you go on to thirst and thirst, there will no longer be anything left 
to satisfy that craving. And in the end, the only thing that will come your way is to dehydrate and die. That's what will happen when you drink from the wells of the world. Death through dehydration. The world and the flesh and its lust for sin holds nothing but death. Upon hearing Jesus speak of this living water, which by drinking she would never thirst again, this woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Let me have it. See, she may not have fully understood at this time, but Jesus drew her in further. Revealed to her her fallen, sinful state, told her things, convicted her of things that only Christ, the Son of the living God, could know. And then finally, at the right time, he told her who he was. And he gave her the water of life that he had offered and of which she had asked. What does the scripture say? John 6, 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. This woman came to him. She didn't understand it all. She didn't get it all, but she said, let me have that water. And he gave it to her. We may not be at a well today, but we have the fountain of life in our very midst. The promise of Jesus that he made to the woman that day. And he made it to anyone, anywhere, at any time afterwards. This is the promise that he made to her and to anyone else. The water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the promise he made. And she came to him and she said, Sir, give it to me. I want it. <clears throat> and he did. It is time, figuratively speaking, to put away the five husbands. Time to do away with fornication. Time to pull away from the world, the flesh and the devil, from the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it's time to come to the fountain. Yes, the fountain, for there is only one place. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from where? Emmanuel's veins. There's only one fountain. There's only one place. Only one well. Only one true fountain of life where we can drink of the water and never thirst again. 
This fountain is not a place, but it's a person. His name is Jesus, and he is the wellspring of life, true life. If you don't have Christ, if you have not yet thirsted and drank of him, then no matter how full of life you are, your hunger and thirst will never be quenched. And the more that you partake of the rich dainties of the world, the more you'll realise that they are like unto junk food that has no nutrition, only ingredients that cause the craving for more to grow. We all have junk food from time to time. Why do we have it? Well, because we really fancy it, don't we? But how often do you eat that kind of food and feel generally either full of just rubbish or unsatisfied and still hungry? You know when you've eaten junk food. There's no nutrition. And it's got those ingredients in them that cause you to desire more. It's like a craving agent or something. It grows. It leaves you no option but to go constantly more and more often to the well that cannot satisfy. It's the only option you have. Today the Lord Jesus stands as he did on that last day of the great feast. As he cried out to them, he cries out to you. If anyone thirsts, if anyone among you thirsts today, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It's possible for you today, if you've not thirsted, or if you're thirsty now. As he cries out to you from the scriptures, come to me and drink. It's possible for you to receive of the fountain of life. And to not thirst anymore. It's possible today. It's possible because he says this, believe. Come to me and drink and believe. It doesn't tell you to follow a prayer. It doesn't tell you to come to the front at some kind of an altar. To get on your knees and to, uh, to, to repeat a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. It doesn't say that. It just says believe. Come to me and drink and believe on me. That I have come and I have died and I have shed my blood. The fountain of life is there for you. Draw from it the blood of life, the water of life. Believe upon me that I have paid the price for your sin. Turn away from the life you lived and follow me. That's what he says, believe. And he says that out of his heart, out of yours, shall flow streams of living water. Are you an anyone today? Are you an anyone? Are you a whosoever? Then he calls you to come and drink. He stood up on that last day and he cried. Cried to who? Any that would listen. Come to me. And he calls you to believe upon him. He calls you to put your trust in him. Knowing that he has come into the world to save sinners. Are you a sinner? I don't know unless there is 
real arrogance in this room that there is anybody here that would deny the fact that you are a sinner. If you are a sinner, believe upon his name. Believe that he has taken the burden of your sin upon himself. That he has bled and died on the cross, paying the price for your sin. Turning the face of God toward you in favour. Grace and mercy. That before the judgment seat of Christ, you are justified by Christ himself. Believe that Jesus became sin, taking upon himself that you may become the righteousness of God. And let me say this to you. This water is free. It's free to you. And it is unto everlasting life, fully satisfying every need forever. We spoke at the very beginning of this service, didn't we, about peace. The only way that you're going to have peace is through Jesus. The only way your thirst and your hunger is going to be quenched forever is through Jesus. Lastly, Isaiah 58, 11 says this. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. You shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are the fountain of living water. <coughs> Lord, you have given us of yourself to drink, to drink freely, openly, for eternity. The waters that quench our thirst. Well, we know the world doesn't satisfy, no matter what it offers. All the riches of Solomon couldn't satisfy him. All the concubines that he had and the wives that he had couldn't satisfy the lust of the flesh. Lord, help us, we pray, this morning. To come to the fountain of life to drink. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here amongst us who hasn't drunk on the fountain of life, Lord, I pray that you make them so thirsty. I pray, Lord God, that they would realise that no matter how much they drink of this world, it's not going to quench that hunger that's deep within them. It's not going to take away the nagging question. Why do I... Why do I feel so empty? Lord, I ask that you might draw them to yourself as you drew this woman. And at the right time, reveal yourself to them. And that they then suddenly realise that their thirst has been quenched, for they have truly drunk from the fountain of living water. Lord, reveal your son to us, we pray. And I ask you, Lord God, for every believer here, that we continue then to drink in the waters of your word that it may wash us provoke us continually cleanse us chastise us, challenge us, teach us encourage us, change us live in us and may it be truly engraved upon our hearts and minds Lord and I pray oh God for every man, woman and child in this church 
that you make us the people that we ought to be. Lord, make us true Christian men and women in this wicked and perverse generation. Lord, I ask for your glory in Jesus' name.